This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, it's all over for amateurs. Now, does it truly begin? Presidential equals election, equals campaign, equals strategy, equals tactics, equals, in the end, deceptively simple binary choice, Hillary or Donald. That starts today. Excelsior! Welcome back, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. Together we are the Blaze Radio Network. one 3393 And it is truly, for good or ill, going to be, fated to be, a Friday edition. So, in the punchline of what was, <laughs> at the time, in my grandfather's time, regarded as an off-color joke, in the words of the punchline of what was regarded then as an off-color joke, keep your hat on, Buster. We could wind up miles from here. So I would offer the same advice. How are you today? I hope it's not as hot wherever you are as it was yesterday. And uh, we've kind of reached that point for a lot of America. And that is, well, I mean, I, I've reached that point for a talk show host to mention the weather, the weather, you, you, you know, that normally someone is scraping the bottom of the barrel. In fact, our barrel runneth over. Our cup runneth over. But uh, the weather, you know what you have to hear at least once in your life? You have to be in Australia and turn on ABC, which is the Australian broadcasting company. And their network news in the morning is very much structured like most Western countries. And so there's a segment, kind of automatic segments that pop up, especially in the morning, that have the the national show, right? National show has cut-ins, what are called cut-ins. And that's when using, say, the Today Show as a model, right? So it's the NBC anchors, and then at uh, the top of the hour, and then again at about 25 or 6 or 7, they say, well, we'll be right back. And they do a cut-in, which means they, they drop the network and they go local. 
And all of a sudden, in, instead of the people and surroundings and equipment of NBC at Rock Center in New York, all of a sudden, for three minutes, you're delivered back to your local Channel 19, you know, the NBC affiliate, where they obsess with uh, traffic and Wida. And the lovely thing, I uh, one of the, perhaps not most important, but one of the significant memories I uh, shall always have is lying abed in this guest house, this B&B, where I most often stayed, uh, often for a month at a time, in the hills overlooking Palm Beach in New South Wales, in Australia, about an hour north, about an hour north of Sydney. One of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And I had a a room that was two rooms as Volkswagens are two cars. You know, what kind of car is a Volkswagen? Well, it has a steering wheel and a brake. That's pretty much it, at least the early ones. And my room, these rooms in this B&B, had a single bed, a tiny nightstand with a lamp on it, with about a 10-watt bulb. Uh, What else? Maybe a wooden chair. And if you were super lucky, you might have the deluxe suite, and it might have a tiny, like, writing desk. Or maybe a tiny chest of drawers, which if you were visiting overnight, wouldn't be enough. But you know what? Outside your window in the morning, you heard parrots, macaws, uh, monkeys, all kinds of stuff. You were in. You were carved into the jungle, literally carved into the hillside. At an angle of about, what, probably about 50 degrees, everything carved into the hillside with these exotic sounds. And the human sound, which was most exotic and affable, was the one coming over the television set in the common room. And that would be in the morning. And it was, I recall, the same announcer. And he would always say, and now, the Wither, Adelaide, fine. Because it, they, they didn't get into detail like Americans do with the maps and the arrows and the sunshine with the sunglasses on it and the sorry, like sorry clouds and the happy moon and, the, and all the winds and the arrows and the dots and the exclamation points. None of that. It was simply a list of major, such as they are, Australian cities. And the man would say, and now, the Wither. Adelaide. Fine. And fine was what they would say. They wouldn't say partly cloudy, partly sunny, mostly sunny. Of course, the whole country is sunny every day, except in the rainy, wet winter season, which is our summer. Adelaide, fine. The weather was fine. That was it. That's all you got. Adelaide, fine. 
Uh, let me see. Adelaide, fine. Uh, I want to do it for you in, in alphabetical order. My, my memory just isn't good enough. Uh, and I didn't want to do this second. I wanted to get you into a rhythm. But it was Adelaide, fine. And then there was Katoomba. And there really was listed every morning. It's in the Midlands, in the middle of the country. Katoomba. Fine. Sydney. Fine. Perth. Fine. Melbourne. Fine. That was the weather. And that was it. And it was, and, and, and any, anyone who's been there, uh, especially for a while, this, this becomes a running joke, at least among Americans. And 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 Western Europeans because the the broadcast every morning is as plain as it could be. Like if the B and B says they offer breakfast, and this one did, you'd go downstairs and there would be no one there. And the night before, they would have shown you where the little mini fridge is. No ice, by the way. No ice. No ice in your drinks. It's the only important part here is. No ice in your drinks at night. That hurt most. But no ice, half a refridge, right? And then if you were lucky, the, the, the girls remembered to buy milk and and then put up some Australian version of cornflakes. And, and then there'd be a loaf of bread and loads of Vegemite. You know what Vegemite is. I, I, I'm not. That's not my pronunciation of half a vegetable and a friend. Vegemite. You know, it's an actual thing. It's a, a truly loathsome, like phosphorus salt mix, which I think is actually made up of the same chemicals as napalm, and. Uh, uh, Western Europeans, Europeans and Aussies and Kiwis love it on everything, everything. Vegemite on anything, they love. And uh, so that would be your breakfast if you could find it and put it together. But you know what? As you were eating it, you were eating it at a, at a table with a nice little linen cloth, and overhead was not a real, not a real roof, but a very, very substantial canvas canopy, which was in place 12 months a year. And right at the edge, and it was essentially a platform, again, carved into the side of the jungle. And at the edge of the platform, you, had, you would, f don't fall off. I mean, don't fall out of your chair because you, you'll land at, at the foot of the water after rolling uh, you know, for for five minutes, you'd be dead. So on the platform, you eat breakfast, you have the canopy over your head. And again, the minute you settle down, you have all the sounds of the birds and the, the, the parrots and the monkeys and everything. And they would come to the edge. A lot of them would come to the edge of the platform. So you could toss them a little bit of, if they gave you a little bit of banana, if you were left a bit of banana, you could give them a bit, a beat of banana, and 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 of course, filtering through it all was Katumba. Fine. 
This is Jay Severin. Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want, that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen. This is the Jay Severin Show. Well, best and brightest, I surely hope you did not miss our opening international breakfast spread segment, uh, because that would be uh, a pity. And uh, Skip and I were discussing whether some of the disgusting things that they put on the table in other countries, which are otherwise civilized places... Uh, which is, but this stuff's inedible and goes by apparently different names. Uh, but there you go. So I hope, I just hope you didn't miss the, uh, miss, miss that segment. I have had many requests to repeat the Bernie story, uh, slash what happens to the losers from yesterday. And I've decided that I will most probably wait and do that because it does keep. If you did not hear it yesterday, uh, it was a sort of an essay, and uh, an oral essay, and and I think it was most worthwhile. And it was essentially my recollection, my confession, my explanation, my pity of what happens to the losers. And you know that's true. Uh, it's true in all of life. It's just It just takes different forms. But when you lose in politics, and this is the thesis of my presentation yesterday, when using Bernie Sanders as an example, but not a unique one, just the latest one. Did you see Bernie last night on TV? Did he honestly look just somehow exude to you Slumped shoulders. Did, did did he not look ten years older than he did on Monday? Thing is, Bernie went from n- not able to get a taxi in Washington D.C., right outside the Senate office building, like the only place he might be recognized. Okay, or back in Vermont where he's senator, he couldn't get a taxi. He went from that 
And a hundred days later, he was a superstar. He traveled only in private jets, only in hundred car motorcades, protected with secret service, staying in four star hotels, surrounded by people hanging on his every word. It's the dream of someone. I mean, if, 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 if you believe that people ought to be fascinated by what you think and what you have to say, you either end up a suicide, a talk radio host, or a politician. And Bernie went in 100 days from a guy who couldn't get arrested. The only people interested in what Bernie Sanders had to say and the only medium of communication he had for delivering his opinions, the only occasion he had was if you were within shouting distance of his tiny home in Burlington, Vermont, it was summer and the windows were open, you would hear Bernie Sanders yelling at the television set, Guy, guy, get off my lawn! You know, and, 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 and other things at his wife or with his wife alone in their living room. He went from that to superstardom, all the trappings that go along with it. And he brought with him everybody who signed on for the ride. And I admit that's one of the things that attracted me to my job. When I used to work for the guru, the true guru, David Garth, and the first time I ever got invited on a campaign event or a campaign trip, and I saw how we were treated. You know, there's a shot. There's a standard TV shot from the news, and you see the candidate, especially presidential, right? When they walk in a room, when they arrive at an airport, when they arrive at a rally, when they depart a location, there are max three and usually only two people walking astride the candidate. One is his, the husband or wife. The other one is the campaign consultant, the chief consultant. And when I was first invited on one of these things and we traveled by private, no one said anything to me. They just said, uh, you know, you're coming on the, you're coming on the, this was typically a, a trip. For, again, David Garth had all the top clients in the political world. And, and they would say to me, I remember for the first time it was a trip by a New York, then New York governor, Hugh Carey. And it was a trip within New York State. It was from New York City to an upstate city. I think Buffalo or Syracuse, maybe Albany, for a speech and then back. And they said, "You're, you're uh, David. David uh, would like you to come." You're, or, or it was probably not that flattering. It was probably, you're part of the traveling party tonight. Just be ready. 
And my first reaction was, well, I don't have a suitcase. I don't have, I don't have a change of you, Trow. I don't, I don't, I need to shave. I don't. And they said, just shut up. You know, you'll be back by 11 o'clock or midnight. You don't need anything. You're just in a suit now. Just shut up and be ready. And we were whisked away from the office in the motorcade and then brought to Teterboro Airport to get in private uh, private planes and then brought up to wherever it was and ushered in in the, 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 the protective cordon and treated like we were... I mean, even I, just because I was with the Garth contingent, I was treated like I was somebody. I was 24 years old. I hadn't written my first commercial, my first speech. I hadn't done anything. This was my maiden voyage, literally. And I looked at the way we were treated. And I came home that night. I went to bed and I said, wow, this is for me. Jay Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network with you, my partners, best and brightest among them, Lawrence from Wyoming, the and, Cowboy uh, State. Say again. Lawrence again. from the Cowboy State, Wyoming, one of my favorite places on earth. <laughs> Hello. Yes, did you hear me? Yes, am I on the radio? Did you expect otherwise? <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, no. Yeah. Were you calling to order food? Hi, I'll take your order now. No, I called to get a freebie if I give you some information. <laughs> well, a, a free what is the question? I, I, let's see. Uh, the if it's sexual in nature, is... I'll pass you along to Skip, my producer. He takes care of that. He's head of that department. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, what can I say? Well, you could say, pass me along to Skip, or I have something political I'd like to discuss. I have something political that I'd like to discuss. All right. Welcome. You're on the radio. (laughs) All right. What I'm concerned about is is, uh, Hillary that people are not talking about. Um, No disrespect to women. But I know who is very disrespectful to women, and that is pretty much people in the Middle East, and the uh, Muslim countries, that theater. And uh, I've lived over there for quite some time. And, military? Uh, watched, uh, yes. Uh, well, not thank you. military, as, as contracting. And, <clears throat> well, uh, thank you. You bet. Thank you um, for saying that. Uh, but where I'm coming from is that there is just no way that the Middle East, just their pride, just in a photo op, they're not going to negotiate. They're not going to sit down and sign away something that they already got easily with Obama. 
uh, it's just not going to happen. That's just not the way that they do business, especially with women. And I know that right now we've got a a prime minister in the U.K., and we've got a um, chancellor in Germany, and then now we're going to have the – we could possibly have Hillary as president. And it's just too big of an opportunity uh, for this country to even become weaker. I realize that Hillary doesn't go and negotiate these um, these treaties, but she certainly. I know what you're saying, but in their in their else. case, they see themselves. They would see themselves as negotiating with her ultimately, and they would see themselves as bowing to a woman if they Correct. made concessions on any substantial agreement uh, elements. And they don't want to make their women look strong that, 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 that Hillary would be betraying. And it's one thing standing in front of the U.N. and talking about women's rights, but uh, it's a different story about a country trying to uh, stand on its own and, and show that they're stronger than what the United States is, and this is what we're having. Um, Do you think it would help any if Hillary were willing, as I Lawrence suspect she would very easily be willing to do if she'd be willing to present as Harry Clinton, like during the negotiations. <laughs> well, that could possibly that that that, that could possibly be. But uh, my biggest concern is that um, just you know she's going to send a, a team forward. But look, I don't think her uh, vice president pick. It looks very strong, and and, and as far as uh, even in male, he's features, a cipher. Kerry uh, looks a little stronger looking. You he know, was picked to he was picked to mitigate the revulsion that white men have for Hillary Clinton, and sure. I just want to register from one repulsed white man, no sale. The other one is, and let me very, very seriously, you will not get at the Fletcher School a more, you're not going to get at Harvard Kennedy School a better answer than this. And I'm serious about your serious and astute question. You are giving Hillary, and this this is what worries me. I don't mean this as a personal criticism. It's endemic. It's endemic to the electorate. But I would presume to suggest to you, Lawrence, that you think about this. You are already upgrading Hillary by virtue of your assumption and your question. Because you went into this, I mean here with me, you went into this presuming that Hillary would ever want or think, or try, ever, to try and renegotiate any of these things such that it would improve the situation of the United States of America. You have, a, you have presumed that, sh- that she has that motive, and then you start with, okay, she has that motive, so does Trump, who would be more successful? You have just upgraded her, Lawrence, enormously where she does not deserve to be. You, you, you have, if we were in a court of law and you were one counsel and I were the other, 
I would rise in objection and I would say, Your Honor, I object to what Counsel Lawrence just said. He is asking the jury to assume facts, not in evidence. And in a court of law, and God, life should be more like one, in a court of law, you would say, what? Hillary intends to renegotiate, to help our position? Where is that on the record? Your Honor, I'd like a readback of that testimony. Where in this trial has the defendant stated that her intention is, like Trump's, to renegotiate agreements to make our position stronger? Because if, if, if you can give me that, if you can show me where she said that, then Counsel Lawrence could make his argument and say, okay, we've now established they both want to renegotiate. Now the argument is who would be better at it? Lawrence, you're giving her credit she doesn't deserve and would never deserve. And the fact is you are asking us to assume uh, uh, as fact things that are not even remotely in evidence. There is no place, there is no readback of testimony of Hillary saying, I'm going to renegotiate our trade deals with China because they're raping us. I listened to an economist today uh, on the BBC, Lawrence, in the middle of the night, Eastern Time, and this guy laid out in language that a second grader could understand. He said, before the World Trade Organization, uh, parenthetically, which I was proud to work against, I, I directed, I was the creative director and strategist for the uh, national uh, campaign. Tens of millions of dollars were spent to stop GATT, NAFTA, and the World Trade Organization. All of them were spearheaded by Pat Buchanan. For each of them, I was the creative director. And and I'm just proud to be on, you know, to say now and say to my children, I was on the right side of that. Lawrence, before the World Trade Organization, and I, I was circa 19, what, 92, 90, 91, before the World Trade Organization, the first of these super international treaties, the growth rate of the United States, our, our, our job, our entrepreneurial, our basic Main Street GDP growth rate as a nation, as a people, as a culture. Our growth rate, Lawrence, from World War II until 1992 was a solid 3-plus percent. In the first 10 years that we signed the World Trade Organization, enabling the Chinese to flood the international market, with illegally supplemented, supported, you know, you know, you know, you know how this works, where, where somebody, uh, uh, whether it's Japan or China, floods the market with their own steel or their own cars or whatever it is. In the first 10 years of the World Trade Organization, the output of the United States of America went from a growth rate of 3% plus to under 1.5%. It was cut just like our lifestyles, just like our salaries, just like our expectations, just like our quality of life, Lawrence, in, in, in that period of 10 years and since, cut in half. So I'm sorry to talk your ear off, but what I mean to say is 
please don't start at the starting line that both Hillary and Trump want to negotiate better positions for us and that we start the argument at who would be better at that. Now, that's an argument I think we win. Don't get me wrong. I mean, clearly Trump would do better than Hillary. But Hillary doesn't even belong in that event. She doesn't belong at the starting line. Because, again, the notion that Hillary wants, the notion that Hillary has ever uttered the words or the sentiments that she intends to negotiate, renegotiate, our international treaties such that they are more favorable to us is, Lawrence, total fantasy. She's never, ever said it. Thank you, Your Honor. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And these are the best and brightest. Joshua from San Diego. Hi, sir. How are you doing today? Well, thank you very much. Thanks for calling. I'm a I'm a disabled. Wait, let me do the let me do the Wida. Let me do the Wida for San Diego. Okay. San Diego. (laughs) Fine. Okay. Done. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, it is, and it's, a, it's nice every day, right? Yeah, I mean, most of the time. Yeah, it rains like twice a year. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not too bad. So it's always about 85 to 75 degrees, though. Well, okay, so we all, you have our sympathy. What next? <laughs> yes, of course. I'm a, I'm a disabled veteran. I'm also a registered Thank Democrat. You. <laughs> and I, um, I'm going to vote for Trump. And I started listening to conservative talk shows, The Blaze, things like that, just to understand why conservatives don't want to vote for Trump. A lot of the guys that are on the radio here on The Blaze are going to vote for Mel, which, in my opinion, is just a vote for an awful person named Hillary Clinton, who's the biggest crook in America, I, in my opinion. So I, I really don't understand that concept of of why they don't like him, you know. I understand it, but I I don't abide it. Um, and this includes my colleagues. And this is the first such comment I've ever offered, ever, is right now okay. uh, with you, for you. Uh, and that is, one can be a conscientious objector. And I think about conscientious objectors probably exactly the same as a disabled American combat veteran thinks about conscientious objectors. You can be a conscientious objector, which we tolerate, uh, or you can vote for the person you think, well, I'm sorry, you can be conscientious objector or you can vote. Obviously, if you vote, you will vote for the person that does the least damage to the Constitution of the United States. And I 
don't understand for I mean I do I do understand what I mean is I don't personally have any empathy not a molecule of empathy for someone who looks at Hillary Clinton and the lifetime she has spent urinating on the military and on law enforcement and on the Constitution and understand that she's in an election, Joshua, against anybody for anything and that anybody would vote for her or do the equivalent. And any other vote, including a non-vote for Trump, is the equivalent. You're voting for Hillary Clinton, and I think that that is vile. I just don't get the concept of if you're trying to defeat one of I understand that if you're a conservative, you think Ted Cruz is amazing and all that, which I don't. I don't like him at all. Um, I'm going to eventually change myself to more of a Republican because I have to be. Because um, honestly, you're either a communist or a Republican now, and, and yep. that's just how it is. That's you're 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 a, you're a communist or you're not. Is pretty much after all of yeah. these years, I feel I can reduce it to. <laughs> now you're not a conservative per se, but I'll bet you no. must be a constitutionalist. I think you are a constitutionalist by virtue of your. Uh, proud duty to this country but so i've always said you're either a constitutionalist or a communist and it's okay if you know if you want to be a communist but understand what you are be able to explain it be able to us be able to justify it to yourself and understand that joshua this is and has forever been a binary choice You are either for the Constitution of the United States of America, or you are not. And if you are not, you are operationally a communist. This is Jay Severin. He's Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network, Jay Severin, best and brightest, one, triple eight. 900-3393. All right. Much to say, much to do, as we can see from the opening hour today, but not pleased at the expense of what is happening in real time, real life. So let us uh, let us get to that. Hold on. I'm having trouble uh, technical problems here. Okay. Let's see what happens. Okay. I said at the top of the show I had a a lot of requests to repeat my story from yesterday about what happens to the losers. You know, profile of a loser. Not a loser loser, but someone who didn't win, meaning Bernie Sanders. What's happening right now? And I can tell you what's happening to him right now. And I can tell you about the arc of his insignificance to sudden superstardom back to what will soon be insignificance. You want to know what's going to happen to Bernie Sanders? You know what Bernie Sanders' fate is? Now, look, his fate is largely his to make, but it's going to have to be in his heart and his guts. 
in his mind. It's going to have to be his wife. It's going to have to be their relationship. It's going to have to be his family. Because Bernie probably has, again, and I, I said, I, this is not a retelling because this is something new. These are new thoughts. So I will retell the Bernie what happens to the losers story uh, next week. But these are new thoughts. And I will bet you my house that Bernie Sanders has received the unsolicited inquiry of 50, maybe 100 agents, a proffering agency of everything from brokering a book deal to getting him a talk show on MSNBC to representing him personally in getting him a talk radio show or whatever. And until last night, they threw away all those telephone messages. If they were smart, they ignored the telephone messages, but they saved them. Because now, every man, woman's fate is their own making, which sometimes is harder than other times to believe. Believe me. But I will honor Bernie to say that his fate is his to make at this point. But Bernie probably believes that the market for Bernie is expansive, enormous. Like, people are fighting over Bernie because there are agents calling him. You know what? Because the agents get 10 or 20%, somewhere in between, and it costs them nothing to call up Bernie and say, I, I'm going to line you up $3 million a year worth of gigs. And Bernie believes this. He he listens to them. And you know what? They might be right. But probably not. Bernie right now likely overestimates the market for Bernie by about 900%. How much do you think... Now, Bernie is admittedly a rare case. So... MSNBC has no ratings and thus no money. But Bernie would be a big get for them. And I, I'm i going to guess that Bernie will have a talk show on MSNBC within a month. But they're not... He's not going to get rich on that. I mean, that... If he's lucky, that'll pay his rent. Again, trust me. I know. So all of these people promising him all these things just fuels this fire that Bernie has that, all right, I lost, it stings, I hate it, it sucks. But now, you know, now I'm going to cash in. It's fair. I've done the job. I've sacrificed myself. And now I'm going to cash in on all this love 
on the love that everyone has for me. I'm going to cash in, and I don't apologize to anybody for it. Yeah, but watch and see when he tries to cash in. Bernie, I promise you, is overestimating the market for Bernie. And if you want to imagine what happens to Bernie Sanders, did anyone, was anyone watching Fox or CNN last night when they did a floor interview from the floor of the DNC with Mike Dukakis? And, and, and of course, Kitty? His wife? If you want to know what people who don't win Democrat primaries look like, think of the list of names. And if you, during the weekend, I'll assemble a list of names of men and women who have lost the primaries, especially Democrat primaries. What happens to them? I will tell you that 95% of the time, they end up like Michael Dukakis, not like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't even know who else to use as an example. But you see, Mike Dukakis, God bless him, went right back to work teaching at Harvard. He's a professor there. He teaches. He has a life. He has a family. That's his life. He put together his life. That's his life. He didn't depend on the faux affection or faux adulation of others in order to get him, you know, up and running because he had a life. Now, if he did some of these other things, great, but that was never his life. And he recognized he was smart enough, emotionally evolved enough to recognize that this is not my life. I didn't go into this a TV star. I'm not going to come out of it a TV star. I'm just a policy wonk, you know, who happened to be the governor of Massachusetts. And so if you had a life, chances are you will have a life. And I think the best thing that could be said about Bernie is, uh, it strikes me, Bernie had a life. He and his wife love each other. They, 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 they have family. They, they have a reason to exist. They... You know, he has a life. There, there is a life that can be reassembled. Because when you come out of this two years of being a movie star and being chauffeured around and flown around in private jets and, you know, essentially being the Beatles, it's, it's brutal, which, again, next week I will again talk about. But it's worth considering. I mean, it's, it's really worth considering uh, why? Well, I don't know. It's not like it's it's not your responsibility. You have enough to worry about. But it certainly is interesting what happens to people that would stand in line overnight in the rain to get into a football stadium to see Bernie Sanders or anybody else yes. from a thousand yards away in the rain for 25 minutes give a stock speech, and then he leaves. You leave, and it takes you an hour to get out of the stadium, 
You get in a fender bender and a fight in the parking lot. You missed a day of work. You go home and great. Was it worth it? I hope so. I mean, you know, everyone has to participate in their own way. I think it's great. It's great. Bernie, though, is at 35,000 feet with a martini in a custom-made 727, corporate 727, on his way to the next football stadium appearance. And then all of a sudden, all of those go away. All of it goes away. The football stadia, the the Secret Service, the cars, the the hangers on, the supporters, the rallies, the everything. Instead of being the A block of the news every night, you're back in your living room yelling at the television. You go back to where you came from. You started this three years ago in your living room, yelling at the television with your wife, your poor wife, having to listen to your opinions. And now you return to your living room, yelling at the television with your poor wife, having to listen to your opinions. The people who survive that are the people who have, you know, relationships, who have a life, who can say, that's okay. I can sit here and I'm I'm happy. I could sit here and yell at that CNN and, and and love my family and be okay. I don't need to be on the corporate jets and all that stuff. Because once you become hooked on that, man, oh, man, it's bad. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Best and brightest. Jay Severin, one 888 Jacob, welcome. Hi, Jay. Good to speak with you today, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Awesome. Well, I'm just concerned about what's going on here in Florida. Uh, growing up in Orlando, uh, Titusville, Kennedy Space Center area, we have eight confirmed cases and now only four hours away we've got confirmed by the CDC local transmission of mosquitoes in people there's four cases in Miami so this has got me right Jacob did you just tweet me brands and then I've got my Jacob long sleeve Jacob yes. hello yes. did you just tweet me yes I did yes sir I okay. did and my and I tweeted you back and I said awesome. respectfully right. tell us tell us Call us, come on air, if you can tell us why we ought care. And I'm not being a wise guy. Okay. I, I, awesome. I mean, I get it. When when a when a disease makes when a disease, uh, and the one I use is killer bees because killer bees. I I make a joke out of it, but it's no joke. I've been deathly. I I have I have beeophobia. I am inordinate, and I understand what phobias are. I I not because I have a lot of them, because I understand English, and I know that a phobia is not like homophobia, which means you're afraid of homos. No, it means you have an inordinate fear of. That's what phobia is. That's the suffix phobia means an inordinate, a clinically inordinate fear of, a neurotic 
inappropriate fear of is what warrants the suffix phobic or phobia. I have bee phobia, okay, always have, uh, stemming from some unfortunate bee incidents when I was a kid, but probably is larger than that. So I understand what you're saying. When, When the killer bees, when I heard about this and they said, don't worry, don't worry, they can't possibly go north of Peru, I said, no, mommy, no. No, no, they're coming. And of course, they came. They're here. They're like in they're in Maine. They're 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 I know a family of killer bees in Kennebunkport, vacationing right now with their extended wow. family. They're here. Okay. So I understand what the uh development of this looks like, the evolution, devolution with the Zika mosquitoes. I'm not you know, as I say, I'm not yanking your chain. The Zika, mosquito, Zika mosquitoes now could never, never be outside of Rio. Don't worry. Could never be up, could never exist anywhere farther north than Rio. But right now they're in Miami. Miami, yes. And they're biting and infecting people there with Zika virus. Uh, right they're now. biting and infecting people there. Yes, they are. So what's the next? I know that you follow this stuff expertly. What's What's next? Is this the killer bee thing? Are they making reservations in, uh, you know, say North Carolina for the winter right now? Are they booking? Are they booking uh, a visit to New York City? What, what are they? What are the mosquitoes well, I've doing? I've read reports uh, that there's mosquitoes that carry Zika virus as far as New York onto. Uh, that area, northeastern part of the, of the United States. The thing well. I do wonder about about infections farther north is that if the Zika mosquito results in small brains, mm-hmm. then how could you tell in New York if there was a right. <laughs> if there was a yeah. if there was a sudden you know, epidemic. I, I, people would say New Yorkers seem suddenly stupid. Well, I don't even know how that would make the news because they're stupid now. But, uh, but, but uh, all uh, seriousness aside, what do you think happens next? Is this a killer bee scenario? I, 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 what I've been reading online, it looks like it's a killer bee scenario where it just takes over certain parts with that have the availability and the, and the potential to grow in you know, marshy areas. They're spraying with helicopters in New York City just a couple of months right. ago. They were just dumping pesticides yep. on people. Sure, out on the cars. East End especially. Yeah. Sure, uh-huh. sure, in, in that reed, that marsh country. Jacob, let me ask you something. You may or may not know the answer. My impression, and again, I'm a total moron. I'm just asking a question here. But totally ignorant about this. But my impression is that the adaptive abilities of these various species to move into habitats, which we very smugly and automatically tell people they cannot survive in, Mm -hmm. they laugh at us and send us a postcard. Here's me munching on ass in Connecticut and it comes from a Zika mosquito you know and and it's sent to the National Disease Control Center like wish you were here uh here I am taking a a a a a firm bite of ass in Connecticut uh because you told me we could never make it this far north 
Jacob, it seems to me the adaptive abilities of bees, of mosquitoes, of various vermin always seem to exceed the abilities as estimated by the National Disease Control Center. Seems to even with the even with the Ebola, that that was uh, they said that would never happen here. I think that's what they, that's what they might right. have said. Right, right. Couldn't move. Couldn't spread. Yeah. Never. Could never come here. Exactly. All right. Yeah. What are we supposed to do can, now that you've scared the uh, hell out of us? What are we okay. supposed to do? Well, uh, the health department guidelines that I've read online have all said if you live in an area like Florida, you're supposed to wear long sleeves and pants. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. In other words, in other words, if you live, if you are, if you are enjoying the 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 various advantages of living in a tropical climate, you should now wardrobe yourself and behave as though it is mid-February in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Exactly. It's 91 and almost in the hundreds in Florida, and, and to wear long sleeves and pants, and a lot of people aren't doing that. They're going on the beach, and especially in Miami. Yeah, Jacob, the question is, of course, if if this advice has fallen on deaf ears and or people have followed the advice and the Zika, mosquito, Zika mosquitoes have still spread, I think we can conclude that doing exactly the same thing to warn people probably ain't going to work. Every latitude, it doesn't work. And then we say, don't worry, we've got the fix. Wear long sleeves, wear a hat, wear long woolen underwear. Uh, you know, it, it, when it's 97 degrees and humid, and that may be, you know, and the Zika mosquito will do what animals do. It will bite the heck out of your ankle, which is exposed. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Uh, again, let's not forget uh, what we're uh, here to talk about, among other things. And uh, one thing I don't want to do is is lose. Is it? Uh, yeah, Rich, because he's been on hold. And uh, before we move on, Rich, welcome. Hey, Jay. Hey, Rich. Jay, do you want me to? Stick to my initial issue, or do you want me to react to your first caller, which I really feel compelled to do? Rich, I'll, I'll I wish way. you to. I wish you to give forth to all of your inner urgings and do whatever you feel appropriate. Okay, that doesn't cost me the license. <laughs> Don't worry, no vulgarities. Uh, <laughs> my name's not Trump. Um, <laughs> Well, there's I'm a hint. A I'm a registered Republican, Jay. I'm uh, I'm a conservative slash libertarian. I fall somewhere in the middle there. I held my nose and I revo- voted for the Republican candidate the last four election cycles. And um, you know, let, let's review. You know, George Bush uh, spent like a drunken sailor. He spent like a Democrat. Okay, he was yes. not a conservative. At least it's the sailor's own money. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, he's spending our money. <laughs> so, so now we, so now we have uh, John McCain, and um, I went through the trouble like most people don't, and I looked up his voting record, and he was the most liberal voter, uh, re- Republican senator out of all the yes. Republican senators. So that yes. put him right out of the running for me. But I held my nose and I voted for him. Okay. Now we have Romney. Um, Anybody who institutes universal... You know what? Given the time of the time of day, the people are going to wave. We're going to wave and state that it, as evidentiary, whatever it is you wish to enter into evidence. We're going to wave, we're going to wave any challenge to it, and uh, we're just going to go ahead and, and enter that into evidence. Let's start with right now. Oh, okay. Well, your caller said, and everybody... I don't understand why, you know, a Republican wouldn't vote for Trump. And I'm here to tell you that out of all those previous candidates mentioned, Trump qualifies the least as a conservative. Okay, there's your reason. Right. But you know what he and devil's advocate, you know what, Rich, he did do was he beat the snot out of every other person that he faced and in doing so he garnered more republican votes and independent votes and for the record more democrat votes where it was possible to do so given the voting laws of the state than anyone who has ever run for president any republican who in our lifetimes has won the presidency never won as many votes as donald trump has won in winning the Republican primary. Well, Jay, you, you know, everybody loves to throw that um, statistic around, but I'd like to add... Well, I, I, I don't love it, but it, is it, it's significant, is it not? Well, here's, here's what else is significant. The population of the country... All right, so you concede it's significant. So you huh? concede it's significant. Not, not after you... Do you, in... no. do you concede it is significant, or do you no. challenge its significance? I'm going to challenge its significance because first of okay, all, four that's years, different. The challenge away. Country. Challenge away. Oh, everybody wants uh, you, to you, you, a couple of you. You you wish to challenge rather than concede that it's a significant matter. So great, challenge away. I'm trying. I I, I I'm trying. Go. First of all, it's four years. The population has grown, number one. Number two, there's the variable that this primary extended way beyond any of the previous two primaries in that candidates were still in the running and people were, were still voting. So that All added right. to We're the losing people. Voters. I'm going to wave. I'm also going I'm I'm, I'm to wave for the record any challenge to that. You're right. It was insignificant. Let's start again today. <laughs> So we want to start. You should today. be great. You should be happy. You're uh, winning I, arguments. I'm happy. I, 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 I'll give it to you. So what do you want? What point do you want me to make now, Jay? Well, you, you didn't call to make the point that Trump's accrual of votes in the primaries is significant or insignificant. You called with a different point. So a point that I'm I, tired. I guess I expect of, you to make voting, that point. I'm tired of voting for a non-conservative. Okay, we have to stop this cycle. Okay, 
and and everybody out there who loves to throw the term binary around, okay, and how we have I to do. vote for Trump. Well, I know you do. I heard you say it before. But, you know, here's the thing, Jay. Um, you vote for that guy, and you own it, okay? And, and if he turns out to be, and I'll use his terms, if he turns out to be a disaster, okay? Worse, you worse, a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think anybody who who says they're a Republican and they won't vote for Trump, okay, they have their reasons. They have good reasons, like I do. Reasons that I can, that I can articulate and 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 uh, you know, not not these uh, people calling in, you know, uh, oh gee, I don't understand. Oh, you know, and and <laughs> you know the the you know their you know. Their reasons for voting for Trump don't extend beyond the fact that, A, uh, he speaks his mind, and B, he's not a politician. And that's all they know about the guy. Okay, look, uh, now, now, now I'm going to take an opportunity to say something, if I may. Again, to be sporting, the people stipulate your argument. Fine. Let's enter it into evidence. We stipulate. That's not the point. The point is you are, again, as happened earlier in the show, and this is an important point, and I'm not being a wise guy. You have done something that you're asking us to do with you, and that is what the lawyers call the assumption of fact not yet in evidence. You are telling me that you know... And we all ought to start right here. Let's start at the beginning of the race with the equal universal assumption that we know what motivates Trump voters. You just told us that's the only thing that motivates Trump voters is that he speaks his mind and he's willing to tell people to screw off. The truth of the matter is that is, Rich, the impression of a very bright person, you. That's the impression of a very bright guy as to what Trump's motives are. You don't know and can't know what Trump's motives are. Neither can I. So I'm not going to proceed in any argument where I'm conceding you, in this case, I've stipulated quite enough, thank you, I'm not going to concede here that you're in possession of knowledge about Trump that I don't have, that you know what motivates him, that you know what motivates his voters. And I would argue to you, Rich, that it doesn't really matter. This is, a, so, forgive me, this is a binary choice. <laughs> you know, don't don't tell me you could vote for uh, Gary Johnson, the lisping, uh, pot-smoking Gary Johnson, uh, and, uh, and his dynamite running mate, uh, uh, Bill Weld, uh, or uh, Judith Green, or Gil Stein, or Jill Stein, or Judith Stein, or Steinstein, or whatever her name is. You know, it. this is a binary choice. And it's really what the candidates, oddly enough, Rich, say it is. It's who's worse. What this has come down to is <laughs> the president, the presidency, equals an election, equals a campaign, equals a strategy equals tactics equals a sharp, simple, forgive me, binary choice. That is Hillary versus Donald. And this election is about 
who can make the other more fugly than the other one? Who is least palatable? Who is more detestable? Who can you least live with and not? So, no, it ain't the golden age of Socrates, I admit. But it is what we have, Rich. It's the worst system in the world, except for any other. So let's be about our business. Who can we live with in terms of protecting our country, building our economy? Uh, And again, I'm prejudicing this, I admit, in my last few words, at least by assuming that we all share those uh, uh, motives. Maybe we don't. But I think, I think, in the end, it will be shown that American voters have not shifted so much that they don't care principally about their jobs and incomes and national security. Now, if it can be about that, who do you think wins? If it can be about national security? No, if it can be about jobs, your job and income, if it can be about economic security and national security, if, if, I'm not saying it will, but if those are the principal concerns on the minds of voters when they vote, economic security and national security, Rich, who will win? Jay, didn't we just hear Donald Trump say he wants to raise the minimum wage? I don't think the man has a basic understanding of economics. Rich, I thank you for calling. Uh, uh, Your Honor, I wish to note that the witness was relentlessly unresponsive. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. I just took the liberty uh, because I can. And no one, I didn't impose on anyone because I didn't say it on the air. Although I kind of guess I am now. But I put it in a uh, tweet just because it's Friday and because I could. And because I was feeling a bit nostalgic. I wrote, Newfoundland's equal the best dog on earth and they are now you see I appreciate that there are two categories of people there are dog worshippers and then non-dog people if you're a non-dog person you probably don't wish to dispute the point because you don't care and you don't know, and you maybe oughtn't know or care. If you're a dog person, this sets off an instant reaction, which, because you are a dog person, impels you to come to the defense of your breed. If you're a dog person, you now share your life with, or have for much of your life, or did or are planning to, or have recently, uh, or are now sharing your life with uh, maybe different breeds. 
But speaking of, there's one right now that I would gladly disappear. Like with the, hey, would you like to be like the people from the Sandinistas or whatever they are from South America? Just be quiet. Daddy's on the air. Stop it. Um, man. A truer, a truer demonstration of love I shall never have to make than allowing that dog in this family, especially as I'm talking about Newfies. Anyway, hey, knock it off now, or this will end in tears. And not mine. Anyway, I just thought, I, I just felt like saying Newfies are the best dogs on earth, and they are. and uh, And you know it too even if you love another kind of dog. Uh, I love that kind of dog, too. Whatever your dog is, unless it's a dachshund, <clears throat> or the kinds that fit in the in your hands, the, 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 those are rodents. I, I don't love those. I'm talking about real dogs. Big, enormous, slobbering, wet, long-tongued, long-coated, big friendly mushy they shake and they ruin an entire room when they get wet and the real dogs that's a dog and i'm saying that because i'm just it's been a while now since uh well esya he's right here good baby esya kirsten fiel is a, a blonde lab who is my best boy and uh i hope i outlive because I could not, I couldn't bear otherwise. Um, and uh, but I haven't had a Newfie or a Saint Bernard now in a couple of years, and it's killing me. I'm beginning to think I'll die without having another Esya. No offense, baby. You know I love you, and I know I know you do too. I know you loved our Newfies and our Saints. But if I've really, I I need. We had uh, three three years ago. We had six dogs. Now that, that's owning dogs. Not owning. That's that's having dogs. That's sharing your life with dogs. Six dogs? The the top four of top five of which all were over one hundred pounds. Four of which were over one hundred and fifty pounds. That's dog. And I I'm sorry, I take this opportunity because it's Friday. Look. I have the ordinary questions about, did the DNC work? Let's talk about that on Monday. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.